Well, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Mark. I am apparently the wonder of the West, so there we go. Um, it's really great to be with you and worshiping with you. Wasn't worship amazing this morning? I love it when we can get into God's presence and just kind of break free a little bit. And we get to do it all again tonight. So please come along to Central, 7 p.m. It's going to be amazing, brilliant. Um, and I loved what Frank brought just about growth and about stepping out and wanting to, uh, to grow. Some, be, be someone different to tomorrow than you are today. And today I'm going to be talking about integrity, which could be one of these kind of poke the bear kind of moments. Uh, so I just want to say right now that my intention here is to encourage is to build you up, build myself up. But yeah, maybe I bring a little bit of challenge around that because integrity is something that we should all have. Agreed? Yes. Brilliant. All righty. Um, in 2004, in, in uh, the Ukraine, now I've got some Ukrainian and slash Russian words to say, so just please don't laugh. In 2004, Viktor Yushchenko stood for presidency of the Ukraine. Now, he was fiercely opposed by the, the current party. Um, and it got to a point where he was actually, he ended up being disfigured, like his face was completely disfigured uh, from, from an unknown poisoning that just so happened to, uh, to kind of like come upon him. But that did not deter him. And he went for the presidency and he stood for the presidency. And on the day, and all the votes are coming in. This is live on television, live on Ukrainian television. And all these things are coming in. And it was actually quite clear that Yushchenko was actually going to be the winner. Nah, the ruling party decided that they would step in. And they tampered with the results. And the state-run television reported, ladies and gentlemen, not quite in that accent because they're from Ukraine, but please go with me here. Ladies and gentlemen, we announced that the challenger... Yushchenko has been decisively defeated. And in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, there was another little picture, and it was a woman called Natalia Dimitruk. And she was providing a translation service for the deaf community. <laughs> and as the news presenter regurgitated all this kind of hype from the, uh, from the leading party, she took a stand and she said, I can't do this. And so she started signing, and again, I'm not going to do that because I will offend people, but she, she started signing, I am addressing the deaf citizens of U Ukraine, she signed. They are lying, and I'm ashamed to translate those words. Yushchenko is our president. And the deaf community sprang into action, and they started text messaging all their friends, and then word spread, and eventually it got to some uh, reporters, and they were inspired to get involved as well, and they too started spreading this word. And over the coming weeks, the orange revolution occurred, where a million people wearing orange showed up in the main square and demanded of the government that a recount effectively, or a new election was taken. It was upheld, and Yushchenko became president. We live in a world that talks about integrity a lot. We look at our world leaders and our world influencers, and some have it, some have lost it, and some boldly pursue the opposite, like we hear in our story today. But think about that one lady. In the big picture of life that kind of blared out a compromised message, 
she was just a small screen in the corner, seemingly insignificant. And yet her integrity sparked a revolution of change. And that integrity can often be a difficult path. There's a price to pay sometimes for that integrity. It's costly, there's time, there's effort. It can sometimes kind of be the long way around a situation. And in our postmodern world, integrity just seems to be up to you. You know, the bar that we set for ourselves, the measuring stick that we set for ourselves, mine's different to yours. So what is the absolute truth? What is, what is integrity? We'll think about that in a second. But integrity is also a path of simplicity. There's a sense of security that comes, and we can find guidance to life. And also through integrity, we can leave a legacy for our children and for those who are following behind us, like the people that we mentor and disciple and lead. So to those around us, where we are working and where we are living, living a life of integrity can spark a revolution of change. We as Christians are called to live differently to the world around us. Paul in Ephesians 4.1 says, and he's pointing us to life of Christian maturity, and he urges us, guys, live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And what is that calling? Well, he says again in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, he says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life. So we are called to a life of holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what that means. He is the truth. He is the absolute, and he is our measuring stick. So in our passage today, we kind of read the why behind this life of integrity. Why are we going to do this thing? And it kind of hinges around verses 20 and 21. And the theologian Tom Wright says this. He says, the central part of the message comes in these verses. It isn't just that Paul is concerned with his own reputation. It is that he is desperately concerned that the world will look at the Christian movement and see it not as a variation on a well-known theme, but as a radical and challenging new thing that it really is. So why do we do this? And there is a, the next slide, Tim, I think. I think anyway. Let's see what I put. There we go. Because our lives are the window into which the wider world will look at the Christian gospel and see it as something different, see it as something radical, a different way to live, and it will point towards the truth. Do you know, I want people to look at me and have zero barriers between me and God. I don't want my life to be a wall between the outside world and this kind of secret inner Christian world that I have or a secret inner relationship I have with God. I need to choose to let my life be the window, transparent, clear, unobstructed, so that people can see my life, but see God's love. And the most wonderful news about this, thank goodness, thank you, Lord, is that even though the bar might be set high, and in our weakness, God's strength is perfected. And we're talking our series is weak but strong. So yes, the bar is set high, but God can help us get there. So let's read the passage. If you have your Bibles, or it will come up on the screen as well. We are reading from 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 16, and I am going to read through to verse 24. So here we go. Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. 
For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry this offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. And here's verse 20. We want to avoid any criticism in the way that we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking great pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, now if you're an underliner of your Bible, why not underline in addition? He's going over and above. In addition, we are also sending with them our brothers, our brother who was often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you, the Corinthians. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, we want to hear your voice and the truth that you are speaking to us and not the words that are maybe coming out of my mouth. But Lord, we want, to, we want to hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. So I've come across a phrase in my working world recently. I'd never heard it before, but now that I've heard it, I seem to hear it all the time. You must have had a situation like that. It is the phrase, best available techniques. Bat. Everyone is talking about bat at the minute in my world. Bat this, bat that. And it actually took me a while to remember that it was actually the acronym and not something that Bruce Wayne was about to do. But I'm hearing this a lot. Best available techniques. The principle of applying the best, the most efficient, and the most advanced method that we can given the circumstances that we were in. So I've been thinking about this recently, and as I began to study this passage, and as I was reading through what Paul was writing, um, I realized that this is what he was doing. He was applying that to his life. He was about to pick up an offering, you see. So what had happened was the, the church in Jerusalem were not doing very well. There was a lot of financial struggles. Um, and so the call to the, the Grecian churches, the churches around this area, were to take up an offering that was going to get sent back to the, the church in Jerusalem. So basically, he was about to be traveling with an awful lot of other people's money. And he looked at that situation and decides to put the best system in place that he can think of to escort this money. And it was with the sole purpose of maintaining integrity. He didn't just say, right, okay, what the rule will be, guys, when we pick up this offering, what the rule's going to be is we're going to have this bag, and we will just never open the bag. And it would get there. And he didn't just say, do you know what? We're just going to put it in this big trunk. We're going to put a big padlock on the front, and we're going to carry it. We'll never look in the padlock. No, he went even further. He said, I'm going to apply the best available technique. And he brought Titus on board. And not only that, as he went to the other churches, so not just the Corinthian church, but he went to the Thessalonian church. And he said, guys, I want you to pick two people. You pick them, not me. You pick guys that you think are brilliant, that you think are men of integrity, above board, beyond reproach, and I want them to come along as chaperone. Paul went above and beyond. Next level. And I think that this is the model that we need to apply in our lives when it comes to integrity. One definition that I read around integrity describes it like this. 
Integrity is when an individual makes the choice to commit to honesty before he or she is faced with choosing between right and wrong. I love the word before that pops up in there. You've pre-decided, predetermined. Because integrity is a behavior-based virtue. And we can choose to cultivate that in our lives. And you know, I don't think I need to convince us today that integrity is a good thing. I think we all agree. I hope. I hope I get nods here. Nod to me if you think integrity in life is a good thing, Mark. That's, that's where we're going. But I would like to encourage us this morning, and yes, poke the bear, maybe a little bit of a challenge for us to look again at our decision processes uh, and where we set the bar in our lives. Because Jesus calls us to have a foundation of truth on which we stand. And we can apply that to our lives in the choices that we make and then sticking to them. You know, Julie and I, we've got two boys and we are constantly telling them to make good decisions. Make good decisions, boys, because we can't force them to be good. It has to be their choice to do the right thing. And here's a quote that I read that I loved. Pursuit of holiness will push integrity to the forefront of our lives. So as we pursue Jesus, as we draw closer, as we become more and more like Jesus, integrity will come to the front. It will bubble up to the surface. How are our decisions reflecting that? So I believe that we should determine some things now, today, before the circumstances arrive, so that when we do arrive in those difficult situations, we've kind of already decided what we're going to do. The path is already laid out. The decision's done. We just need to simply follow what we decided to do. So that's where we're going this morning. And don't know about you, but I need a bit of wisdom in my life. I am not the wisest man that I know. So I'm going to look to the book of Proverbs this morning to kind of try and break this down just a little bit more and just to see what the Bible says about integrity. So... Here we go, and we've got some points that are going to come up. We need to think about honesty choices. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity, integrity even, walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. So the take-home point is that a person of integrity will have a good reputation. And they won't need to have any fear of being exposed by something or found out by something. And therefore, that provides a bit of safety in our life, a feeling of security. You see, the word integrity comes from the Latin root word integer, which means whole, if you're a mathematician. I had to look that up. But it gives this impression, does it not, that a person should be whole or not divided. And I think that a divided person is someone who is probably different in one situation than they are in the next. And therefore, a person of integrity is the same person in different situations, whether they're in private or public. But the yardstick, like I said before, the yardstick of, of where that honesty lies seems to be up to us in this world. But how can you measure honesty in truth if you don't have a baseline by which to measure. How long is a piece of string? Show me the string. My string's longer than yours. 
So our measure needs to come from the word of God. Full stop. We read the Bible's teachings and we follow its role models and we see how life is done. And if we're straying away from these teachings, then we're not being honest. And if we are keeping to them in public, but not in private, then we're not living lives of integrity. And this applies to every area of life. No matter if you're in business, ministry, unemployed, full-time parent, whatever, every area of life. And it applies to every relational circumstance of life, whether it's with a boss, colleague, friend, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, a husband-wife relationship, parent-child. We look at the Bible, we read its teachings, and we apply it with integrity. And whilst we're here, let's quickly talk about accountability as well. Accountability seems to go closely hand-in-hand with integrity. If we're trying to build integrity into our lives, then let's get someone alongside us. Let's Let's involve someone else on that journey. Someone who can apply that measuring stick and tell us how we're doing. They can encourage us when we're going well, and they can tell us when we're not going so well. Let's choose to involve someone else in our life, and let's choose to be open with that person as well. You can only be as integrous as you are open. That's a whole other sermon, by the way, so I'm not going to do anything more than that. So we need to make choices around honesty and apply them to our lives. Secondly, we need to think about consistency choices. Proverbs 11.3, it's very similar to the last one. It says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. So the take-home is that the wise person who's living a life of integrity, kind of, if they're doing that, it will automatically guide their steps. It was like I was saying before, when you make a decision and and you, you commit to applying it to your life, then when the situation comes along, decision's made. You just walk it out. When Julie and I were in Australia, we went over to Australia for a few years to do Bible college. And when we were there, there was this one guy and we would go to every lecture that he put on, every course, every class, even the ones that we didn't have to go to, even the ones that we had to pay to do. We were these poor poor students. I had more money as a student than I have now. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Don't ever let them tell you that they're strapped. Anyway, that's another sermon right there. Uh, Anyway, bring it back. So this guy, he was a brilliant communicator, a man of faith, uh, and he just seemed to live this life that was so matter-of-factly, or matter-of-fact. He would tell us that he doesn't need to see how he feels on a Sunday morning when he wakes up to decide whether he's going to go to church or not. Because years ago, when he became a Christian, he read in the Bible that it was good to have worship community together. Decision made, I'm going to church. End of. Similarly, when he made choices around studying the Bible and prayer, again, he read that that's what you do. So he decided that that was his discipline in life. And the only choice that he did on a daily basis was when. When was he going to do that? Decision was already made. So what he was doing was he was making once and forever choices about the important things in his life before the situation occurs. And then, to me, what looked like a matter-of-fact life was actually just the fruit of those choices. Consistency. 
So we need to make one and for always decisions about some important things in our world. And consistency will be built from that. And thirdly, we need to commit to those choices. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. The take-home, integrity leaves a legacy. A righteous man or woman walks in integrity and provides a path for his or her children to follow. And it makes the path just a little bit easier for them. And just like that guy in Australia, make once and for always decisions about the important things. So what will your legacy be? Who will look at our lives? And will it spark a revolution of change? That woman in the story at the beginning made just one bold decision. And she stuck to it. She stuck to the truth. And it led to a huge legacy. So let's commit to this. And let's see what happens in our world. You know, Jesus did this. He decided to go to the cross on our behalf. A one-time decision that he saw through to the end. And he has left an eternal legacy for us. Hallelujah. Barrier of sin broken. It was done for the thief on the cross. It was done from the people who we know who have passed before us. And it will be so for our great, 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 great grandchildren plus. So he set the bar high. And yet to reach that bar actually means a life of security, guidance, and legacy. Let's just flick to the next slide, just the blank one. So there we are. Blank piece of paper, clean, clear, unobstructed. Next slide. I want to be super practical about this. I've entitled this the conclusion, but really this is it. This is what I'm talking about. The stuff before was just a little bit of a why we need to do this. This is the stuff. This is the poke the bear moment. Have we chosen to only have one drink when we're out on a night out with our friends or our work colleagues? Does that then lead to an ease of pressure when they try and pressure us into having another round? We don't then stumble, literally, on what is actually a very easy path to just start walking down. And actually, take that further, not just when you're out with your friends, but what does that look like when you're at home alone or when you're with your families? Is it the same choice? Or do we choose to put God first with our finances? I personally believe that God asks us to be generous and to have a first fruits principle. So making this choice now leads to a glad heart when my tithe goes out at the beginning of the month. And God loves a cheerful giver. We have the opportunity to invest into the kingdom of God that reaps spiritual dividends way beyond what we could achieve on our own. What's our rule about sharing our faith? or telling people about what we do at the weekend? Have we decided to openly talk about our faith in our workplace? Not to hide it, but to always say, oh, this really cool thing happened at church on Sunday, and to be completely and blatantly honest about it. When we do that, we kind of normalize 
our different life. We're called to be different, but by just talking about it matter-of-factly, this is what I do at the weekend. My work colleagues ask me, oh, what are you up to this weekend? Oh, I'm on kids at the weekend. It's going to be awesome. Oh, what do you do? Oh, super high energy. It's absolutely, it's hilarious. I have to do these dance moves and I have no clue what I'm doing. Brilliant fun. Don't hold back. It normalizes what I do on the weekend and therefore it's no surprise when I start talking about stuff. And do you know what that does? Opens doors. Suddenly opens doors. We have conversations. So we've gone from living consistently to suddenly we're sharing the gospel without effort. We were kind of singing this and speaking about this and Frank was talking about this. Have we chosen to accept forgiveness when we stumble? Have we just made that decision that if we do something wrong, okay, there's grace to catch me? Now, I don't say that because we should be taking grace flippantly. Absolutely not. But to make that choice now stops us from kicking ourselves when we're down. Because when we do that, we often hold back during worship. Because we don't feel that we could be in that place. Oh, I'm, oh I did that thing. Like, oh. And we count ourselves out. No. Make a choice now. That when I stumble, I'm going to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And I'm going to get right back into community. I'm going to get right back into worship. Why would we count ourselves out and take ourselves from the place where we're going to be blessed by the Holy Spirit and blessed by those of us around us? Ugh. We need to accept grace now and make choices like that guy in Australia did about faith and daily devotions. And then we position ourselves really well. Maybe, just maybe, slowly and surely, the peaks and troughs start to smooth out just a little. Amen. Amen. I'd love to talk about what we watch on television. What websites do we look at? How do we treat our children? How are we treating our marriage partners? How are we relating to our neighbors? How are we even relating to our enemies? I don't know what that looks like for you. But are we reading God's word? Are we reading what it says about love, about marriage, about integrity, and applying it to our lives? What do we read in the word about serving our church? Faith without action is dead. So are we sowing really well into the life of our church? How do we treat and act, or, or how are we treating and acting people around people of the opposite sex? Is it with respect? And as the Bible would teach us, is there integrity in the private and the public places around those relationships? Are we putting measures in place that are above and beyond reproach? Do you know the church pastoral routine kind of got together and went, do you know what? We need to be above and beyond reproach. So we have to interact daily sometimes with people of the opposite sex around in our, in our sites communicating about, oh, have we organized that? Can, can we organize this? But we made a choice for the sake of our marriages and for the sake of integrity to kind of create WhatsApp groups where our spouses are involved. So Julie has a ton of WhatsApp groups, which is those people and me. And we had to have, 
Do you remember the amount of conversations that we had to have about that? To say, look, it's not that we distrust you. This is just us going above and beyond. So we had to have dozens of conversations about that. But do you know what? My marriage is worth being above and beyond. My integrity is worth being above and beyond in those hard and difficult conversations sometimes. Do you know Jesus sets the bar high and he calls us to be different. But he guides us and he equips us to do it. And as we live lives of integrity, the wider world around us will look in through the window of our lives. And they will look through and by our example, they will see him. So let me read some Bible verses to back up what I've just said. Because this is not for me. And I'll close on this. Matthew 11 verses 29 to 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus' words. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, poking the bear, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he did so. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. So the Bible is true. The Bible is for you today. And the Holy Spirit can be our conscience to remind us of those things. But here's something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't shout at us like some kind of angry parent. No. Gentle, still, small voice. But here's the thing. The closer that we draw to him, the louder that we'll hear his voice. Love that. And the whole point of all that I've spoken about today, and if we just flick to the last slide, which is just saying what I said before the whole point is that our lives are the window into which people look around and look at us and hopefully they will see God's love and point them to the truth and the good news that is Jesus let's make great decisions now that will guide us when we hit those difficult situations the before the circumstances let's do that now guys do you know what Maybe we'll just spark a revolution of change in our world around us. And maybe, as Brian said, the people who are out there will be in here and we'll need bigger rooms and we'll need more kit and more bands and more prayer warriors and more prayer ministry and more coffee. There's always room for more coffee. Let's spark a revolution of change in the world around us by the way that we live.